In the times we live in, almost everyone has something to say about justice. We have numerous community organizations fighting for their brands of justice. We have lawmakers from all sides of the aisles communicating what they feel best represents justice. We even have preachers who, whenever there's a natural disaster, in some way, shape, or form, redirect that back to some idea of justice. But have you ever wondered what Jesus Christ did and said about justice? Stay tuned, because that's exactly what I'll be talking about today. Long and thanks for joining me for Gems of Grace. Well, last time we talked about what justice is and how we serve it. And I mentioned how among all the talents in God's church, finger pointing was near the top of the list. I also talked about how justice has two major aspects. First being the standard by which penalties are assigned for breaking the obligations of the society. And second, justice is a standard by which the advantages of social life are handed out, including material goods, rights of participation, opportunities, and liberties. It is the standard for both punishment and benefits. I mentioned as well how justice starts at home and how if we are going to be serving at mission trips overseas, we better be willing to serve justice in our own churches, neighborhoods, towns, and yes, toward our own families. And I top things off by saying those of us who claim to be Christ followers must also be willing to follow the ways of Christ when it comes to justice. And that's where I'm picking up today. Once we've done justice at home, I think the next most reasonable question would be, who's next? Luke 4, 18, 19 says, once again, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus came to proclaim the captives would be released. By this, he is speaking life. Our world is filled with people who are being held captive. Many are held against their will in hidden corners of the world, in the United States and abroad, as victims of sex trafficking, drug trafficking, or other types of forced labor. Some people are being held captive by addictions and bad habits. Others are spiritual victims of various other satanic forces. There are also people who are prisoners to different types of abuse and unhealthy relationships. Similarly, some are under the control of secret memories of rape or molestation. These offenses to their bodies can often express themselves in sexual sin, especially when the ones who are being oppressed haven't had a safe place to heal properly. These people are hostages to the things that bind them. Each challenge is specific and unique, and Jesus is promising to encourage them all. He is building them up and not tearing them down. If Jesus chooses against condemning them, what right have we to do any different? We do not know all the experiences people have gone through to bring them to the moment in time where we find them. None of us has a right to assume the reasons behind people's actions or attack folks based on our limited views of their predicaments. They are just as precious in the sight of God as we are. They, too, were made fearfully and wonderfully in his own image. Our job is to proclaim the good news that these things that have held them down are being evicted in Jesus' name. People who are captive or oppressed, whether they are in Christ or without, 
need to know that what they are going through can begin to be fixed today. This is especially important for the lost, which are looking for a reason to follow Jesus. Hell is a real place, and it is important to educate people on its dangers when the time is right. However, I have found that people who don't have a faith in Jesus usually fit into one of two categories. One, they don't believe in Satan, much less in hell. Or two, based on where their lives are, they already think that they are in hell. This is where we must decide how to answer a question I often ask about almost anything. What's more important? Is it more important that I get my point across and sound authoritative or that I point them toward Jesus? Our primary focus should not be to get people from going to hell, but to get them focused on the God of heaven. If we are able to get people to turn completely from their sins, that in and of itself will not save them. Only acknowledging Jesus as Savior and Lord can do that. Often we Christians have a bad habit of operating on the defensive side of the ball, so to speak, instead of offense. Verses 24 and 25 in the book of Jude says, Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are His before all time, and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. For the Christian, the ball of the faith is in our possession. Satan is the one trying to retake control and score against us, although he cannot win. Our focus should not be on Satan's foolishness, but on God's ability to keep us all moving downfield in the right direction. Because of this, when we are communicating the message of Christ to someone who is looking for Jesus, we need to be reminded that the positives of an eternity spent in heaven far outweigh the negatives of hell, and that there are many, many benefits of salvation to enjoy right here on earth. Steering the non-believer toward heaven gives them a chance to access those benefits and with salvation protects them from a godless eternity. At the church I belong to in the heart of Los Angeles, we have a wonderful outreach department with two full-time people on staff and a host of volunteers. The program has its flaws, but they spend many hours dedicating themselves to the needs of the people in our church and the surrounding community. They have a weekly outreach every Saturday morning where they serve with various partners throughout town. They have several smaller groups doing justice work as well. There are seasons where every day of the week some form of service to our city is being done by them. The people who run this undertaking are heroes of mine, but in all honesty, if each member of the body of Christ would simply do our best Jesus impersonations, I know the effect would be so great that the employees of the department would happily be out of a job. Acts 10.38 gives an even more brief description than Luke 4.18 and 19 of Jesus' mission on earth. Objectives are rarely used on resumes these days. However, if Luke 4, 18 and 19 could be Jesus' social media bio, then Acts 10, 38 could be the objective on his resume. It reads, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil without a requirement of salvation. He did it without a background check. He didn't require everyone get right first, whatever that means. He didn't come promising healing if they gave the right amount of money to his television program. Jesus just did good and healed folks, period. The text says all who are oppressed by the devil. That means Jesus didn't discriminate. He didn't only do it for the people of God, but for everyone. He healed with no hidden agendas. It doesn't even cite conversion as a prerequisite. Jesus didn't require they repost his Facebook status and tag it to 777 of their friends at 707 on 77. Jesus just did good and healed. Of course, there were and still are necessities for salvation, but not concerning how to treat people. Jesus did good and healed without a commitment to church membership. He was good to people regardless of their moral profiles. He didn't ask first if they were straight, lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or questioning. He didn't demand that they be low, middle, or upper class. He didn't ask for their voting record or if their views swayed more to the liberal side, moderate, or conservative. Jesus didn't adjust his goodness depending on if somebody was fascist, communist, optimist, he just did good, period. My good friend Ashley Abercrombie, a general in the field of restorative justice, talks about earning the right to have a conversation with people about Jesus. Jesus had a way of addressing the effect and then the cause of one's predicament. Jesus had what I believe was an intentional technique of confronting practical needs and by doing so, gaining the trust to speak to people about their sin. We would do well to follow his example. Consider the lame man in John chapter 5. Jesus asked the man if he wanted to get well. He listened to him then and then spoke the word of healing into the man's life. By that time, Jesus had gained his trust and had his attention. Then Jesus finally addressed the man's sin. Another great example of Jesus' trust-gaining strategies is in the story of Zacchaeus found in Luke 19. As Jesus neared his way, Zacchaeus climbed up into a tree to see him since he was short. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Jesus recognized this man, this notorious sinner, as verse 7 calls him, and Zacchaeus' response to Jesus recognized him made him voluntarily give half of his money to the poor and give four times as much back to anyone he had cheated. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Zacchaeus was clearly a fan of Jesus prior to Jesus's saying he wanted to hang out with him. How different might Zacchaeus' reaction to Jesus been if Jesus had treated him like we often treat people we encounter that are without Christ? Mahatma Gandhi once famously said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. 
How many times have the notorious sinners that we've come across been attracted to the presence of God within us just to have us usurp the authority of the Holy Spirit and scare them away with our negative predispositions to their sin? If we could all just take a lesson from Jesus and imitate his ways and actions, things would be so much less complicated. I'd love to keep going, but I'm just about out of time. I'd love to hear from you online. Please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at GE Missions. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, for Gems of Grace, I am Wade T. Long.